Welcome to the Body Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Kiara. You can expect new episodes each Wednesday that are educational, inspiring, and honest surrounding various women's health topics, spirituality, and so much more. The Body Wisdom Podcast was brought to life by integrating the physical and emotional body to deepen one's healing journey. Thanks for being here and enjoy the show. because I have our new KMW practitioner, Gabby Barboza, on the show. She'll be on the show for the remainder of her time here, and I'm so excited to be co-hosting this show with her. So welcome, Gabby. Hi, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) I'm excited too. Um, Wow, so we have a big topic ahead of us today and I feel like this is something that you and I have a lot of experience with digestion um and it's so funny just like reflecting back on my journey I was just like I and this is why I can put myself in the shoes of so many of my clients because it's like I've been there I've been in the seat of desperation not having gone to the bathroom for days on end and now we're creating an episode on how to support digestion with the basics and I don't know about you, but it's just like, it always comes back to that. Like no matter what, no matter how fancy we want to get with the protocols, it always comes back down to these basic fundamentals. Yeah, for sure. And even we've been talking about this a bit, but even the people that know, like you might have heard so many of these things before. Um, And even like I check in with myself on things that I know that I need to be doing and am I actually doing them? So it's really nice, even if you've heard these things, to get a refresher. And then if you haven't heard these things, and hopefully you hear something new. And then if you haven't heard these things, um, to really assess where you're at with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that so often these are the the simplest things. I actually just spoke about this earlier. They're, They're so simple and you hear them all the time, like probably ever since you were in grade school. Um, some of them you have, some of them you haven't, and yet we still like our, our, our higher brains, our human minds, like still want to go really, really deep with things. And that's wonderful. Our brains are still brilliant, but I think when we actually just put everything else on the back burner for a moment and come back down to these simple basic steps, I think when you really give it your all there, you'll be surprised. You'll surprise yourself. And I was actually just speaking with a client yesterday and she was like, yeah, you know, and that's something I've never done. I've never just like slowed down and just been okay with the simple things. Like it, it really is this like hyper active brain of ours that's like, go, 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 keep digging, keep digging, keep digging. And I was there too, guys, um, going down rabbit holes of information, trying to get to the root cause of everything. <laughs> the root cause, I was like, oh my gosh, it's a parasite. or H. pylori or candida, you know, and it's like, okay, but why are these here? And it really is a lack of foundation. So, um, yeah, I don't know if you want to share like a little bit about your background with, with digestive health and how you kind of got to be in the space of nutritional therapy. 
Yeah. So the first really like memory I will say around digestion is um, when I was a child, I was on a medication that really slowed down. I needed to be on it. Um, that slowed down my whole body. And so I would have these, and we weren't really relating it at the time, but I would have these debilitating stomach aches and I was very constipated at the time. We thought it was just normal. Like we were told if you've always only gone to the bathroom two to three times a week, then you're fine. Like that's normal. As long as that has been your consistent routine. I remember my pediatrician who was so sweet, but he, um, he was one of the first people that told me, um, you need to make it a, a routine. So make sure you're going into the bathroom every day, even if you don't have to go. And it's crazy to think about like how I started dealing with constipation at an extremely young age. Um, and really the only things that were, um, given at that time were like Miralax, which we now know has crazy ingredients. <laughs> um, and so that was my first really memory, but my digestion pretty much stayed the same. I remember one time I came home in college and I hadn't gone to the bathroom for seven days. And my mom was just doing like, she was doing heating pads, like all of these things that were probably helpful at the time, but I wasn't addressing food. And that was the first time that I, re- and digestion in general, and that, and that was the first time that I really was like, okay, what did I eat? What did my last week look like? Um, and I had eaten like a whole jar of hummus and, and, and sugar snap peas. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was my first kind of like light bulb moment that this is something that I have control over. Um, and I'm not saying you can't eat hummus. That's not my point at all, but, but it needs to be properly prepared. And, um, that's when my fascination really started was for like so many of us from our own, uh, situations. And then from there, I noticed my bloating, like I would send pictures to my friends in the mirror when my bloating was really bad and be like, what should I name him or her? Like my belly was so bloated all the time. I woke up with it like that. And I think that I got into this fear cycle of like, will I ever not feel bloated? Like, this is crazy. I feel bloated from the moment I wake up and to the moment I go to bed, I wake up with this big old belly that I like, can't get rid of. And it wasn't fat. It was yeah. bloat. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I don't deal with bloat. I mean, I deal with it here and there, but through this journey and patience and slowing down. And if I could have slowed down sooner, I likely would have gotten rid of it sooner. But I was chasing, like you said, like I was chasing, like I need to do a stool test. I need to see what's wrong. And why is my microbiome off? Like all of these things, instead of chewing, instead of like... <laughs> realizing that I have so much power, um, before I dive in to those things. Hmm. You and I have such a similar story. And I, <laughs> I think it's also relieving to know, like for anyone who's out there and feels like really isolated in their symptoms, like you're not alone. And I think that's one of the, the biggest things that I felt because everyone else around me in my immediate circle was completely fine or so they thought. Wow. And I would like show my mom, like, mom, look at my belly. She was like, you look fine. And I was like, no. And in retrospect, looking back at photos, like 
I, I still was, I had this like super tiny frame, but there is still like belly. And I was like, yeah, like there were so many times, like I woke up bloated. I would cry. I would call out of work. I would say like, I need to go to the hospital and would go to the ER and nothing would come back. And, um, one of the times the doctors, a physician said that, um, I should try a gluten-free and dairy-free diet. Um, and so I was like, that's it. Like, that's all you're gonna tell me. Like, I don't have like any internal blockages or anything going on. Like, yeah, the blockages. <laughs> like all of the things that WebMD was telling me, you mean I don't have it like stomach cancer? Are you sure? I was like expecting this huge catastrophic thing. I almost went to a research hospital. I talk about this all the time because that's the extreme that I was at. I was like, figure me out. And I, I, I was giving all of that power away. And, 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 you know, that's where I was. I didn't know. I was scared. I was lost. I had no one there to reassure me like, Hey, it's going to be okay. We just need to focus on these simple things. Um, and so before I went to the research hospital, I was like, all right, I'm going to do my own research and then began everything. Um, but I like, as a child, I don't know if you can resonate. I think you can, I think we kind of talked about this, but when I was a toddler, I would go behind couches in my diaper and poop. Like I would hide pooping and that kind of began, I don't know why, like why that's just so random. Like as a toddler, like, what is she now? Like, why is she afraid? Um, (laughs) I'm just like thinking about it. She's so sweet. Um, and I would hide my farts. I would hide like the, the need that I need to go poop. Um, growing up, like in high school and college, like with significant others, like trying just so embarrassed of this very natural process. And basically at the end of the day, telling my body that it doesn't know what it, what it should do. Telling my body that it does not know what it's doing and therefore it's going to pause everything because yeah, she's telling us that she doesn't need to go. Um, and literally one time that sent me to the hospital. And I think I saw something on the internet the other day or no, months ago, my cousin sent me that someone, some like Brazilian star or something went to the ER because she was holding in a fart or something like that. Cause it could lead to the worst intestinal pain. And so I think that also brings in like the nervous system piece too. And it's like, why do we carry so much shame around this? And partly I think it's because our society like tells us that we can't do that. Whereas like places like China, like people go do that. Like if you're at a restaurant, like it's, it's no big deal. It's just this very natural process. Um, and also I think the food is very different in comparison to what it is here. So maybe their, their gas doesn't smell as horrid as some people. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think as far as what happened from there? Like I decided to go try various different things, including um, like juice cleansing. I don't know if that's something that you did, but that's one of the things that I leaned into first because I was like, okay, I'm so full. I probably shouldn't eat anything, but I think that um, juicing like is this huge fat it's this huge trend that's going on right now and you can lose x and x weight because I think that was the other thing what you mentioned earlier like I thought I was gaining so much weight and I thought juicing would help that did you try juicing too 
I, oh my gosh, I've just always been a huge foodie. So I would definitely try to juice and then end up, it would be like one of the, I don't want to use the word binge, but it would be like a cycle of like, let me drink this juice and then I'm going to have a huge dinner. And it was always just like, then I had to like, okay, now I'm really bloated from the dinner tomorrow. Let's try juicing again. And like taking away that fiber from the juice and also just um, remembering that I I realized like if I'm not eating anything and I, in the hospital, I noticed like when, when people aren't eating, you still create waste, but it is a slower process because you don't have any food to move it through. So anyway, long story short, I was not successful at juicing, but I definitely tried a few times. (laughs) Yeah. Cause you need fat, right? You need the presence of fat to stimulate the flow of bile to complete that detoxification process leading to a healthy bowel movement and juicing juices don't have fats. And I know some people will probably add like olive oil or something like that to their juices, but still you're missing out on that fiber, that precious fat. And not to mention it's super expensive. It's just not sustainable. And kind of talking about like celery juice as well in this topic, because I think this is huge. This is still, I can't believe still a question that I get on a regular basis when I discovered Malcomedium and all of this stuff, it was like years and years ago. And yeah, people are still like wondering like if this is something that they can do for healthy bowel movements. And I think why it works so much, and I'd be interested in your take, it's, it's, it's so, there's so many minerals that are being pumped into your body. And um, it's also not sustainable because you have to ideally purchase fresh celery juice every single day. It has to be organic. You have to juice it fresh that morning. I'm just like, oh my gosh, like just like the stress on stress on stress. It doesn't feel realistic. Totally. And I think bringing in the conversation too around like uh, traditional Chinese medicine and your constitution and how everyone's constitution might not be the best fit for celery juice. And that's why like some people have really great success with it and some people don't. But the things that we'll talk about today are like helpful for everybody no matter what your constitution is um and so when we're following these fads um I think you're right with the mineral thing like that's probably why a lot of people see and I also think because medical medium is such a big figure in this space um the mindset thing of oh this works I've seen it work for so many people and so your body's like okay well if it works we're gonna make it work until it doesn't anymore and you don't feel good um so when you believe in it and that's why whole other topic but trust in your practitioner is so important because when you believe something's gonna work your body is gonna make it happen (laughs) um so yeah trust in your practitioner trust in your body and I think a lot of people are coming from like that place of desperation and it's like my body is broken Mm -hmm. and that's one of the biggest things that I learned stepping into the NTA your body is born with this innate intelligence and like when my instructor said that I was like (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) and it was never told that before like completely changed my life and just it just brought me so much immense gratitude for the system this body that I have peace yeah yeah it's like oh really like my body is working for me every single day and that's beautiful um 
traditional Chinese medicine. Um, well, okay. I, I guess I was confusing that with Ayurveda because I don't know my constitution. Is that, yeah, TCM. I don't know my constitution there. I've never been assessed by a practitioner, but Ayurveda, do you know your, um, your dosha? Yeah, I definitely lean like kapha. Um, if I'm in balance, like very kapha. Really? But I think also vata in like other ways. So yeah, I think all of those quizzes and stuff, it's like, yes. And I'm mm-hmm. like this, I did one once and I really liked how it framed this. Cause it was like a kapha body, but on the inside, there's this like huge pit of fire, which, um, can it, it's, it's complicated. And, and you're uh, an Aries, right? And I'm an Aries. So yeah. that's fire here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like just bringing in all the modalities (laughs) modalities and isn't that wonderful I once got um a dm or it was a question in a question box and it was like how like I'm feeling very overwhelmed by everything that's out there it's like TCM Ayurveda you know integrative medicine alternative health and there's functional medicine naturopathic medicine like all conflicting information and it's like great what an opportunity. We have so many different options to explore and get curious with all these different modalities. Like, hmm, I'm going to try that. That's honestly, guys, that's what I had to do. I didn't skip any steps. I had to play with different things and kind of just see what works for my body. And obviously it wasn't these like trendy, bad things that were very short-term, not sustainable, but it was taking bits and pieces of these frameworks that I love and kind of integrating them into my own framework for my own system. And yeah, I think it's just a, we can look at it from one perspective, like, oh my gosh, it's so daunting and so overwhelming. Or we can kind of shift that perspective and say, ooh, I get to play, I get to explore. And obviously one baby step at a time and this is where maybe someone like a practitioner would come in so that it makes it less overwhelming and it's kind of like here why don't we like focus on this right now and kind of like just play with things along the way because at the end of the day you are your own best doctor I guess um and you know your body best at the end of the day we are just simply here to guide you and support you and kind of just give you all of the resources that we have available to us all of the education, all the knowledge that we've acquired over th- through the years. But um, yeah, so juices, cleansing, et cetera. And let's talk about fasting. Is this something that you explored to? Oh, 1000%. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like everyone has, right? Yeah. I mean, because when I, there was that idea that was implanted in me that uh, the my, my migrating motor complex, that your digestive system needed a break. And that you need to give it a break, et cetera, because it's working so hard, this, that, and the other. And we can kind of get into like the foods that we're taking in too, um, in a little bit, but yeah, that like ruined me. (laughs) I mean, it didn't ruin me. It just, it just, it created so much dysregulation, not only within my own body, but like how it rippled outwards, like how I was super cranky super depressed, super anxious at the same time, because I wasn't eating for extended periods of time. And on top of that, I was doing fasted workouts, like cycling, 5am cycling. <laughs> on top of that, because I, I had no awareness about like my physiology and what was happening on the inside. And fasting is just this 
Um, and now I think like religious fasting, like for a day, like if you have like foundations laid out or whatever, like if that's something that needs to be done for sure. Um, but I think nourishing before and after is super important. Um, you don't want to deplete a body that's already really depleted. Um, so I think fasting for women in their reproductive stages is something that I typically do not always, I want to say typically always something I do not recommend ever. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, and I love that you mentioned the religious, there are, um, cultures and religions that that's really an honoring practice. And there's also, um, normally from my experience in my education like area for exception in that um and so it is so dependent on your metabolic flexibility in the first place and so many of us aren't metabolically flexible and potentially will never be uh flexible enough to withstand fasting with our current world we live in uh, i think so often in the fasting space it's referenced that um our ancestors had to do this, like our body is made to fast, blah, blah, blah. But they were living in a wildly different time than we're living in now. They were living in a time that they went, the only time their sympathetic nervous system kicked in is when they were being hunted or when they were hunting or, um, you know, all of, they were protecting their land and that was not every day. <laughs> and so we're living in a time that our sympathetic nervous system, depending on who you are, very different and what lifestyle you live, but it's kicking in at least every day for some reason. And, and depending on how quickly you can re-regulate. Um, but yeah, I, I was trying fasting. I mean, I lost, a a good amount of weight or fat loss, um, intermittent fasting. And, um, I remember my thyroid tanked at that time. I had to up my thyroid medication, but I was like, I feel good in my body. So it's fine. I'll be really tired and constipated as long as I'm not overweight. Um, and that was kind of like that, I mean, I didn't actually feel that way. Like it was kind of just like, okay, well, at least I have the weight loss, you know, like, and I just up my thyroid med and that's fine. That's why we have thyroid meds, but that's not, that's not actually what my body wanted. And my body was telling me that it wasn't okay with the fasting through my thyroid, through my hormones. Um, I even at one point would do like 24 hour fasts, um, like once a month and I would time it. I was like, well, I'm timing it in my follicular phase. And so it's fine, but it's not. Um, <laughs> cause there's, there's a lot of talk around timing fasting around your menstrual cycle. And for some people that works great, but 24 hours is a really long amount of time. And I remember just so many people will drink coffee and caffeine to reduce their appetite. Um, it's an appetite suppressant if you didn't know. And so, um, that's a way to get through. But if we're trying anytime, we're trying to trick our body like that, you want to kind of question, like my body's telling me I'm hungry and I'm tricking that hunger. Am I working with my body or am I working against it? Um, yeah, definitely have been there with fasting. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's an experience. And I think sometimes you have to go there to really get here. I agree. You know, like I said, we didn't skip any steps. <laughs> oh man okay so those are all the things we did to kind of like help our digestion along um 
But now we're going to get into the five things that we implement on a daily, daily basis for good digestion. Um, and first and foremost, and this is probably going to be the biggest takeaway for you guys, because this is what honestly, it truly comes back down to. If you don't have this piece, that's kind of like what you need to work on. Um, and that is the true parasympathetic state in polyvagal theory, there are two branches. So there's high tone dorsal vagal. So high tone dorsal vagal underneath the parasympathetic branch. And then there's low tone dorsal vagal underneath the parasympathetic branch. So there are two. And we can kind of correlate this to what we see on an HTMA. Um, I work with clients who are slow oxidizers and that ratio, the calcium to phosphorus ratio is usually really, really high above ideal range. And I could probably guess just based off of speaking with them, based off of symptoms, that their body is in that high tone dorsal vagal state. It's not in that low tone dorsal vagal state that is true rest and digest because obviously they wouldn't be here. Their, their symptoms would probably be mostly at bay. When you think of low tone dorsal, think of like sleep, think of really being able to meditate um, reading, watching a movie, relax, like everything is, is good and, and, and wavy kind of there. Um, the high tone dorsal vagal is like where, where systems are kind of like forced. It's an, like an, un, um, what am I trying to say? Like, it's not something that you decide. It just ha happens involuntarily because that's what your body needs to do to preserve all like survival systems. So when I say parasympathetic state, it's not just like this blanket statement. We want to really go towards that low tone dorsal vagal and not see such a high calcium to phosphorus ratio on that HTMA. So do you feel like the high, um, you, it's high tone, right? That's, or is that the name? Okay. Um, would you say that's someone who's like, like just kind of putting symptoms to that, like a slow starter in the morning, um, never really feels like they're fully awake um maybe someone who jumps to stimulants more because they're trying to simulate <laughs> yeah, I see it yeah. as someone who has all the classic symptoms of a slow metabolism low mm -hmm. energy fatigue um, poor digestion also um an inability to feel and I see this a lot especially as I get more into somatic work um, a lot of these women are also having a really hard time accessing sensation in their body. Um, like a numbing. Like a numbing. And yeah. so that usually goes along with a really high tissue calcium level that we see on there. I've seen calcium shells in the 300s, 400s, and even 500s. And to, to that, we usually see a very high thyroid ratio, which is calcium to potassium. And Again, if we have a high thyroid ratio, um, we're, we're um, observing some symptoms of low thyroid. So if the ratio is high, we're observing symptoms of low thyroid. It's not a diagnostic test by any means, but that's kind of what's happening at the cellular level. And so, yeah, those are the classic symptoms of someone who's like in that high tone dorsal vagal um, shutdown response. It's different than freeze which could also be a possibility. So getting into another category because parasympathetic shutdown and freeze are two different states. So the shutdown is kind of just like the, like everything's just collapsing. 
Um, the freeze response is having the brake on and the um, uh, accelerator on at the same time. So someone who's in this state can be, it's like a strong sympathetic layer and then a, a very hard like, or I'm sorry, it's a strong parasympathetic layer. And then underneath that is a lot of sympathetic energy. So it could be a blended state. And that's what freezes. Think deer in headlights. Like if you are like, like someone's coming in and in your house, like a robber or someone, and you're just like, there's this like- I know I need to do something, but I can't do it. Yeah, it's like- Yeah, I wanna do something, but I can't do it. Exactly. Um, And so that we see that too. So it's hard. It's not, we're not gonna get all the information that we need from an HTMA, but we can kind of just assess through symptoms as well as we speak to clients. But yeah, that's a little bit about polyvagal theory. Um, and so how do we get into this true low tone dorsal vagal state when we're sitting down to eat our meal? Because that's when the, the digestive process can do as it wants to do, really flow as it needs to. So again, these are like super simple things, but it's, it's really the challenge here. That's, that's what people are like trying to skip and override. Um, one of them is, is sitting down, <laughs> sitting down with your meal, not necessarily on your tailbone, because I think that's where your nervous system is. A lot of women are sitting down on their tailbones and how can you heal your nervous system if you're literally sitting on it all day, um, but sitting on the sits bones. So like, I know that's like super weird to feel, especially if you haven't like practiced that before. Um, I see you like situating. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we're um, back to my yoga days like. <laughs> yeah it's super uncomfortable right when we're like sitting at desks all day long or looking down at our phones and like laying down all day um it's a practice and I, I also know how uncomfortable it is to sometimes sit on your sits bones when you have digestive issues and you're bloated and it's like all I'm gonna do is just like eh you know, um, that slouch becomes like, so it's very like, uh, symbolic of like how you're feeling. It becomes so comfortable to be there, even though you don't want to be there. (laughs) Yes. I think it's protective, Mm -hmm. very protective. Think about where your hands are throughout the day. When I had really bad digestive issues, I would cross my legs and kind of like hold my belly like this. Yes. Yeah. It's like you're holding that space of you. So that's one. And then with that, I think this is where our senses can come into play. And this is kind of like using a somatic lens too, although we did learn this in nutritional therapy to really take in your food, because I think that naturally that's going to create presence. And if there are any racing thoughts like, I don't want to be here. Or like, I'm, I have this like huge impulse to like grab my phone. Um, letting the racing thoughts be there because the more we try to push them away and not necessarily like buying into them, just like kind of letting them be here. Observing. Then, observing, yeah. Witnessing them and kind of just being, seeing if we can be okay with them for, for just a little bit. And um, not pushing them away because then it's just going to get louder and louder and louder, just like an emotion would be. Um, so sitting down, taking our senses. I love. I literally love like smelling my food. Mm-hmm. There's a reason we salivate. Yeah, There's a reason we salivate. That's like the second step that happens. Like 
your brain kind of signals those salivary enzymes to be released. Um, and then you have the mechanical breakdown of food, which is chewing. And I love what my instructor told me. He was like, your stomach doesn't have teeth. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, it was a huge light bulb moment for me because when I was growing up, all I saw was everyone just like plowing through their food. I was, so <laughs> yeah, I was such a fast eater. And then I'll let you kind of speak to this one, Gabby, the whole fear response that people have, like, especially if they have digestive issues, um, looking at food alone may like trigger this like fear response or activate this fear response. Um, like, will I actually be able to digest this? Oh my gosh. Like this brought me so much pain in the past or, you know, whatever, whatever. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, um, this one resonates with my story so much around the fear of food, because there is a time that I was eating a handful of foods because I thought that that was the only thing I was able to digest. And so, for example, it was like chicken sausage, like very wilted vegetables, um, and a few others. That's really what I, sweet potato maybe. Um, but I remember going to a restaurant with my family and it's this restaurant in Portland, Maine that is known for their menu is like insane. Like it has so many different foods. And I was like, I actually just want uh, plain chicken uh, with no seasonings. Cause I was afraid of the seasonings. I want plain chicken and then just some cooked spinach on the side. And she was, the waitress was so taken aback. She was like, are you sure? Is there anything else you want to add? Um, And I was so fearful of food at that time that I thought no matter what I eat right now, I'm not going to feel good. Um, And so my brother's so sweet. He got the same thing. And that, (laughs) I died. I was like, please don't get the same thing. And in that moment, it was kind of like a light bulb. I was like, wow, I am so afraid of my food right now. And I don't think I would have had the light bulb moment if my brother hadn't ordered the same thing. Cause I'm looking at this, like, he's a very large, like was a wrestler like guy. And he's about to eat at the, the coolest restaurant, uh, chicken, grilled chicken and wilted spinach for lunch and I I had a light bulb moment and I was like wow this is what I need to work on is my fear around everything I'm eating because I'm not okay with my brother eating the same thing that I'm eating and I had I remember having dark circles under my eyes I was so nutrient deficient because I was not eating I wasn't eating anything um and so the fear if you are looking at your plate and you were like, oh, I wonder if this is going to make me more bloated, or I wonder if this is going to constipate me more. I wonder if I'm going to have a loose bowel movement right after and have to run to the bathroom. I wonder what's going to happen after I eat this. Your body gets into that sympathetic state. And so it's like, whoa, okay, we need to protect you. We need to do something. And so all of your digestive juices, all of your, your saliva is going to dry up. Um, everything that your body knows how to do isn't going to be in that parasympathetic state because you're fearful of your food. Anytime you're in fear, the sympathetic system runs, runs the show. Um, so yeah, that the fear I think, uh, is a big one that we probably both see with our clients, um, who are coming from this restrictive state. And I want to also make sure 
especially like with us knowing how this feels like it's not your fault that if you are in this place and um it's valid and your body is doing everything it can to protect you um and we can also bring in um the other side of it around like maybe there are foods that your body is more um retains a little bit better uh, or, or digests a little bit better. And there might be a time where we kind of crowd out foods that are harder to digest, but it's not from a fear standpoint. It's just knowing how our body naturally works. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. So like, I'm like, I just want to like pause for a moment. Cause I, I felt really touched, like in my heart space, like I noticed this immediate sensation. I almost felt like this emotional, like impulse to want to cry. Like when you said that your brother is so sweet, like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine like just what you felt in that moment. And I'm, I'm glad that happened too, because that was like a huge light bulb moment for you. And like I mentioned earlier, it's not about telling, like if you're actively working on this process, it's not actively telling like this fear to go away. It's kind of like getting curious about it. What is this here to teach me? What is this here to protect me from? And I love what you said about like, it's doing everything that it can to protect you. Like that's all your body's trying to do. Like, is it safe? So we really need to come back down to this felt sense of safety within and I think it all begins from this, like this, this lens of curiosity. I think that's one of the things that we need to embody um, with somatic work and just like anything that we do in this world. Um, Morley Robbins said, uh, he's the creator of the Root Cause Protocol Institute. He said that one of the most forgotten, like, um, like uh, what am I trying to say? Like adjectives is, is curiosity, like are we having a curious mind? Um, and I love how he kind of says like copper, see you, curious, see you. Um, a lot of us don't get curious anymore. And I think that can also easily happen when we follow someone on social media and it's like so-and-so says to do this, like I'll just do it because I'm desperate for relief. Can you get curious about it and see why? Can you educate yourself? Um, I think having that awareness and, and knowledge is really important. Um, and yeah, so getting, going back to what I said, getting curious about the fear. And I think also various tools can come in too, like our colleague, Teresa Piella, she's a um, emotional freedom technique practitioner, EFT. Um, and I've sent so many clients her way just to kind of work on this piece because it really comes back down to like, can you actually trust your body and knowing that it's going to digest um, food, it's going to nourish you by eating that food, it's not going to attack you. Um, and I also think that some, some nutritional work can also help support that too, because I would imagine if you were not eating carbohydrates too, um, that would indicate like this, this natural like fear response because blood sugar is dysregulated. Right. So it's kind of like so many different variables coming into play. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It definitely makes me emotional too, because it was this time that I thought I was doing everything that I needed to do to feel better. Um, and yeah, my, my soup, my sweet potato, my carbohydrates consisted of like, yeah, like some sweet potato, things like that here and there. But I did go keto for a while because I thought that that is what I should do. And I, 
Um, I would say that I definitely was a more like healthy keto. I wasn't just eating like a ton of, you know, like, I don't even know if I can say healthy keto, but you know what I mean? Some people that go keto are like totally like (laughs) just not aligned with what I would typically do. Um, but it just, the carbohydrates, I think I learned at one point how the carbohydrates help to simulate bowel movements. And I was like, wow. (laughs) Okay. No wonder. Um, but all I was thinking is that the fat helps to simulate bowel movements. And so I was really focusing on one area. And so instead of looking at the whole picture, so the curiosity, um, I would say it's spot on. It's really what helped me get out of that was being curious about different, um, really going back to the basics. What are these foods here for? God made carbohydrates. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah, They're so yummy and tasty and just add so much substance to our meals. Um, And kind of now, I think that was like a lot on the parasympathetic state. And I think that is like, if you guys, again, take anything away from this episode, it's that. Um, And then next we'll move to like the foods that we're taking in to our bodies, because I think mainstream society preaches that green smoothies and green salads and yeah, eliminate carbs, go low carb or um, go low fat or whatever it is, or I'm trying to think like pescatarian or carnivore, like just all of these things that vegetarian, um, I was vegetarian for a while too. (laughs) Extremes like eliminating so many things and the labels, the labels. I'm a vegan, I'm a vegetarian. And I'm not saying that to like pick fun or anything, but I identify so much with these. I am so proud to say that I don't identify with paleo or this and that. I just, I I eat food that is so nourishing to my body and that involves so many different categories and foods that are also designed for my physiology. It's kind of what we're getting to. Um, Those foods, green smoothies and green salads, not that those are to be eliminated, um, I don't really do green smoothies anymore, I'll say, but I do drink smoothies that, you know, that was something that I was so afraid of of drinking for the longest time because I was like, oh, they're cold. And I'm just like, I shouldn't be drinking them for digestion. And I think there's a way to do it that's more supportive. Um, And then green salads can be super rough on the intestines. And I think it also depends on the metabolic flexibility that you have um, at the given time. Like some people just really can't do it in in the stage that they're in, in the stage that state that their, their digestion is in. And that doesn't mean that it has to be that way forever. Um, I love like a beet and goat cheese fresh salad with maybe some walnuts and like some protein on top. Um, or on the side, like that sounds super Edda, goat cheese. Yeah, you said goat cheese, yeah. <laughs> um, and in in the summer, like that feels really good. Would I do that so much in the winter? Probably not because it's I'm on the east coast, so it feels super cold outside, and I really want to nourish my body with warming foods. So I think we need to really shift our perspective from what we think is healthy, low calorie foods, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera to this mentality of what is designed for my physiology, what will make it easy for my digestion to work properly in the state that it's in right now. And I'm finding it through my practice, through my work, through my own experience that 
um, that really comes back down to foods that are ancestral in nature, that are primal, that the traditional foods that my grandmother used to make um, and foods that are properly prepared using soaking and sprouting methods, um, using lots of bone broths and gelatins and foods that are really not only tasty, but have, like serve a purpose, um, are super supportive to my gut lining and are not kind of working against it so that my body has to work so high, hard to digest it, which is the case with lots of like raw foods. So. The hummus. Hummus. <laughs> the store-bought hummus that put me in the fetal position. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes every now and again, when I go to Kava, it's like this, I don't know if you have Kava up there. Do you have Kava? No. Oh my gosh. It's like this Mediterranean to-go like spot. It's so good for anyone who knows. It's like one of my go-tos because they use olive oil in their cooking um if I ever need something in a pinch but I like add like a tablespoon of hummus and I think that is okay too a whole jar yeah <laughs> that and that's the thing it's like okay you're having hummus isn't inherently a bad food and I never really use the words bad and good food in general but like a jar isn't supportive <laughs> so yeah with um nuts and seeds because yeah. I think that these are and, and when you step into the paleo world, that's like really pushed and advocated, especially if you want baked goods, you have to use a bunch of almond flour. And I was eating almond flour pancakes, almond flour brownies for dessert. I was coating my chicken tenders in almond flour. You know, I was a whole nut case <laughs> with, <laughs> with the nuts. And uh, it just, it was way too much. And you know what I was also doing? I talk about this all the time too. I was eliminating dairy from my life because um, I thought dairy was the culprit. And truly, I think that obviously I was reacting to it. But when I implemented raw grass-fed pasture-raised cheese, it was a different story. And I found myself not binging on that so much because I remembered standing by my cabinet and taking spoonfuls of nut butters to the face oh my gosh and then the feeling that you feel afterward is just awful I mean just super constipated like even more I'm like why am I gaining weight why am I so bloated like I'm eliminating all the trigger foods and no one really explained to me like uh hello like balance or moderation with everything um so yeah, that was not, not a fun place to be in, but hopefully that kind of gives you insights on the foods that we find to be most supportive. Yeah. And anytime really quick, anytime that you feel this insatiable desire for a food, like going back to the nut butters and it doesn't mean you can't have a little bit here and there, but if you feel like you cannot get enough, like that's a time to get curious around, like, why am I, why is my body consuming? Like it's very calorie dense. Um, but I'm not feeling satisfied. Like, why is, is that, um, same thing around like, um processed foods in general like it's made to not help you feel satiated like that's the point of a lot of them and so um it doesn't mean you can't like I love Boulder Canyon um chips like and the, just the plain ones but if I am I if I'm eating the whole bag then in one sitting um get curious about that yeah curious 
That should be the title of this episode. Take yeah, care. just be curious. That's yeah. it. <laughs> um, and I also think you could come at it from like an emotional standpoint. Oh, yes. Can't what, why are you not satiated? What What's going on here? What are you what's feeling? Happening? What are you numbing? Yeah. What are you numbing? Yeah. And when I was doing all of that, I was in a relationship that that had reached its its tipping point, and I wanted to to stay there and so did my partner and um we were both fighting for something that was not serving anymore and mm-hmm. I was numbing that I was like I knew inside that something had to shift but I didn't want to believe it and I was also not being satiated by the relationship at the same time um and so I think I really leaned into food kind of same here like I'm such a foodie um and I really manifested through like me eating like like not even kidding like 10 cookies in a sitting like homemade cookies that I would make and it was just like nothing ever fulfilled that and it wasn't until that I left you guys I kid you not like just chills almost like on my body as I say this when I returned home back with my mother um my body (laughs) It, it was it just a weight was lifted I felt so at home in my body although yes there was a lot of grief that was happening I was so sad and, and moving through all of that but I knew that's kind of what needed to happen but my body felt this immediate sense of safety and it like it, it, it dropped weight my digestion was like working as I wanted it to I was like what <laughs> what just happened it's so crazy that relationships and we could go on about this but relationships and their impact on like you might even not realize it consciously what's happening but your body knows what's happening and so it's trying to communicate with you I see this a lot with acne um when we can't get to the root of acne and we start talking about relationships and that is a trigger for um, if you're in a, a tough relationship and it doesn't even need to be like a, I don't want abusive or anything like that. If you're in a really tough relationship, um, but you're holding on, your body is going to communicate in any way it can. And part of that is through expressing um, the skin is one of the easiest ways to express. And so, yeah, I resonate so deeply on the relationship piece. I love that. I think we should do another episode on relationships. Yeah, I think we could go deep. (laughs) (laughs) I think you and I could have a lot to say there. Um, All right. So moving right along to digestive fire, this, this, this heat that we need to have ignited when it comes time to eat and what dilutes it? (laughs) Water. Water. Like get served, we get served ice water in this country before every restaurant meal. Yeah, mm-hmm. I always I, I I don't know about you, but I never drink water when I leave the house, and that's just me being my high maintenance self. Even though I don't think it's high maintenance, I'm just making fun of myself because I will not touch the water. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. Um, but it's just like, and and my boyfriend's like, I don't know if you've like trained yourself to not do that. Because like I just can't like I just need to have a, a water with my meal to like help it go down. That's like his thing, and I think I did. I think I did kind of train myself because because once you're aware of like the ramifications of what 
could happen there. And like, obviously as someone who's experienced digestive issues, you're like, okay, I'm not doing that anymore. Um, yeah, you, you kind of just train yourself to, I mean, I think sips of water are okay. Like if you're taking a supplement like beforehand, whatever, I think that's okay. Um, but it's just something that isn't good anymore. I, I, I think also we're drinking plenty of water before and now I was gonna say that. Mm-hmm. After, so we're not like dehydrated you know trying to drink um water with our meals yeah it's so funny you're mentioning this I just went and got tacos like with my friend the other day and she finished her water and asked and had more and I didn't even like I think I had one sip and she was like whoa aren't you thirsty and I was like no I actually like I don't naturally want water really when I when I eat anymore and that's not how it's always been but I'm hydrating and not just with water but I'm hydrating so well outside of my meals that I actually don't desire it during my meals um so yeah it's and when you're when you're throwing that water it's like think of an actual fire when you're throwing the water on the fire you're putting it out and our bodies are warm the acid is warm it wants to be warm and so if we're throwing cold water um or water in general on it then we're putting that out yeah and um I think other ways to ignite the fire within us I think that we can kind of bring in Ayurveda and um apple cider vinegar like I, I think I saw your story the other day on just sipping apple cider vinegar like 10 minutes before with water like diluted I think the dilution is really important um to kind of help just increase that digestive fire and then ginger tea is also something that I like I had some ginger tea this morning before breakfast like way before breakfast um and I think those are two awesome ways to kind of ignite that too Yeah, I would say generally like rule of thumb, especially if you're getting into this, like limiting water to like two to three ounces. um, And then you can kind of limit even more depending on how that feels. But um, it doesn't mean you can't, like you said, have some sips of water. Um, Yeah. Yeah. We're not rigid or hardcore. Yeah. (laughs) Anymore, at least. I I used to be super. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All right. And these last two pieces, guys, these last two basics that we think are super important, probably things that you may be aware of, may not be aware of. They don't really tie into like in the moment kind of things when you're digesting your food, but they do make a difference. And that is one, your sleep and morning routine. Um, When you are not getting true rest and recovery in the middle of the night, how is everything supposed to happen as it wants to when you're sleeping for example like are the troops being called in to repair that gut lining and kind of like solidify it strengthen it while you're sleeping therefore strengthening your immune system um that's if that's not happening like you could probably guess that digestive issues are probably going to come about so one of the biggest health hacks is going to be optimizing your sleep routine and again, not an easy feat, challenging, simple, not easy. Um, and then I think that kind of leads to a really healthy morning routine. If you're going to bed earlier, if you're getting true rest and recovery, then your morning routine is probably more likely to be more enhanced. Yeah, the sleep and then at night is the time where your lymphatic system is the most active. So the lymphatic system in your brain, and if we don't give it that time, then um, 
that's when the next day, the brain fog, the, you almost feel like when you don't get it, I don't know if you feel this way, but a little sick, like nauseous, just, just like can't. And then, um, and then if you go into, if you feel that way, when you wake up and then you go into this really intense workout, it's just like overdrive. Um, and I think the big, uh, around like sleeping, there's a lot of emotional ties to going to bed and sleeping and so many people, um, and I'm guilty of it too. Like I'll be the first person to say that I do not practice what I preach a hundred percent of the time every day, but, uh, scrolling before bed is, um, I think a very large emotional response. Like what am I avoiding? Every time I'm scrolling for a while, I'm like, what am I avoiding? What am I avoiding? What am I avoiding? And then I'm, I like make myself so crazy with that question that I stop and I try to figure out what I'm avoiding. Um, and so just bringing in like if any of this feels overwhelming like bringing in these habits like maybe one or two times a week you don't scroll before you go to bed maybe you get blue light blockers um how can you make this a habit where it feels so good to not scroll that eventually that's what you do um and you might wax and wane like you might go a few months without scrolling and then you get back into it and that's that's the journey of health journey really um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm so glad that you said that because I think there have been, I think we're, we're practitioners guiding and supporting, but we're also just right alongside of you. We're not perfect humans. We're human and we are trying to navigate life just as much as you do. I don't think anyone in this world has it figured out. So don't expect us to be perfect. Um, and I think for me, what's been helping me this past week, like it's been awesome. I've been going to bed like right at nine it's been great um I have like the the focus on so like in the morning there's an hour of personal focus from eight to four that's work focus and then from four to seven is like um or I think I have it off from four to seven but for like from seven to nine is like sleep focus oh um, I thought that they updated where you could do that I need to do mine yeah I did update and um I've been, it just makes it so known. It's like, all right, sleep, here we go. And so I literally turn my phone off and it's like in the other room. And that may be, you know, just extreme, but that is kind of like what feels really good for me. And and something that my mom, for example, navigates. Um, What if she needs her phone in the middle of the emergency? Um, and also this is a woman who's been on high alert for, she won't mind me say this, but all of her life, you know, like, you know, on guard all of her life. And so I'm not like the only person in my house, I guess that would be like a different story. Um, but at least having it like not right beside your head when you sleep. Um, I think putting it over in like a, like a dresser, like way away, I think is, is more supportive and having it on loud. Like if you really need to have your phone on and not on airplane mode or turned off. Um, but phone is, I think probably one of the, the hardest thing and things and I'm facing that with, with a couple clients right now. And it's just like, there's a huge emotional connection to that. And also I discovered that one of them had a really hard time sleeping as a child. And this is something that I personally went through as well, because I was, I slept with my parents until I was eight years old. I was afraid, <laughs> so afraid of the dark. Yeah. I'm so glad that I'm not alone. <laughs> Oh, I slept with my mom until she like got remarried in high school. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. 
scary. I held my mom's hand until I was like, okay, it's like time to go to middle school, like kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, just like mommy's baby and wanted to sleep. My brother and I would fight between who, who slept between, between mom's legs and who had to sleep at the bottom of the bed. I don't know how my parents did it. And then <laughs> my dad was like, all right, you guys got to go to your room. And I was like, I remember being like, like terrified terrified that there is this like monster underneath my bed so this is a very long-standing issue and even today but I'll save that offline I'll save that offline I'll explain that later but um yeah it's uh it's a real situation to get to get curious about and to really ask yourself those questions like what is here what am I not facing why why am I having such a challenging time to get off of socials um what is comforting about this is it, you know, thinking that you're connecting with others on screen as well? Um, I understand too, like there's a loneliness aspect. The know? loneliness, you're reading my mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love when that happens. Um, but yeah, especially for someone who feels like kind of isolated in their like personal community, like real life, um, having a phone and social media can, can bring them so much relief too. So that's also like, I had to work on boundaries with another client like okay can we connect with people um but can we also have boundaries with that like with your phone so that you are resting because obviously this is impacting your morning and you're not feeling well rested and this and the other um so every case is different <laughs> I guess I guess what we're trying to say yeah I I think what you're saying too is like getting in touch with what when did this start like did have I that always had sleep problems I remember when I was a kid I would sleep with the light completely on and it's wild to think about now because I I think my mom would like turn it off eventually but when I was going to bed and I wasn't sleeping with her the light was completely on because I was afraid so even though you're an adult like are you still playing out some childhood um fears or loneliness or uh, what happened at night did uh, did the people in your family stay up till midnight and you were trying to go to bed as a kid and you felt like you were missing out like what what happened did has an emergency happened in the middle of the night and so you feel like you need to be um on guard that's something in my own story that's like there's been there has been multiple things that I needed to know that where my phone was or, or needed to there was one time I answered a FaceTime that was an emergent call. And so now it's like retraining that this isn't going to happen every night. Um, and what can I do to soothe myself? So that way um, I don't feel like I have to operate in this place of fear. Um, yeah. yeah. Huge, huge. I love, I love where this is going. Um, and then the morning routine piece, like I said, is kind of like a side effect of having really good sleep health. Um, but I think morning routines, I almost don't like using that word anymore. I know it's been so monopolized with the Instagram morning. Yes. <laughs> um, I think getting into a, a certain routine really helped me realize like, oh, this helps like create a sense of groundedness for the rest of my day. And it doesn't have to look the same every day. It, it can shift from different life stages that I've been in. Like it looked different and, and I'm trying to think if I had a morning routine in college, probably not, but <laughs> oh, not like from, racing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it has shifted over the years is what I'm trying to get at. So if we can, like, I kind of just start off with clients. Like, is there one thing 
Is there one thing that you know? Simplicity. Is there one thing that you know for sure can nourish you? Is that a cup of tea? Is that tongue scraping? You know, is that, I don't know. It's something that is so simple that you know for sure you commit to and letting it grow from there. You guys, this, this health game is not an overnight process. You have time. And it took me time to get to where I am today. And there's more time and that's going to shift, especially as I become a mother. Like, you know, it was just thinking of the mom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) The mom stepping from, from maiden to motherhood is, and sometimes I feel that way. Honestly, I was talking to someone, I can't remember who it was, but I was like, I really, I feel like I'm running a farmhouse already. I have three dogs. I make my own sourdough. I'm making my own sauerkraut. I'm doing all these things. I'm working. I'm like, okay, I can't. So what I actually listened to was my body. I was like, okay, I can't do the raw dog food anymore right now. As much as I want to commit to it. And I'm so happy to do it. My body just cannot do it right now. Um, and so that's something I can come back down to, uh, come back to in a couple of years, maybe like when I'm not so like in, immersed in my business right now. Um, and so that again will shift because I know crying babies are there and, and right then and there that that life stage involves like being there for them, with them, attuning to them. So yeah, other, t- other things kind of take precedence. Maybe that's it. Maybe your morning routine is, is, is holding your baby, rocking your baby and nursing your baby and being really with that and not thinking about the millions of other things that you could be doing because those are the precious moments that you're going to remember the most. And maybe that's the time that you're, you're breathing. And, and I think that a time, and obviously like we, we don't even know the half of it and so I never want to speak to like I know how this feels or anything like that because I won't and we won't until we're in it but um if you can notice the times like maybe that's a time where you scroll I think a lot of I've noticed a lot of the women in my life like when they're nursing that's when they're scrolling and so can you start to shift that habit of like Um, maybe that's when you breathe instead of scroll, just like little things, um, and not make it like, I need to have a three hour morning routine, which is like not even possible for a lot of society. (laughs) Like, um, yeah, the simplicity is huge. And that goes into digestion just to tie it in because If we're not, um, if we are in a state where every day we're running out the door, we're grabbing a granola bar and our coffee and we're running out the door and you're struggling with your digestion or pooping or, or anything like that, your body. Um, and if you notice that you're someone that will only poop when you get to work, um, that's likely because your body finally felt a little safe to release. Um, so if you can give yourself a little bit more time, um, or just move more slowly in the morning, um, wake up just two to three minutes, five minutes early to start, um, your body can hopefully help out a little bit before you even leave. And then how good does that feel? You're like going into your day with a bowel movement. That's like my favorite way to start the day. You feel so much better. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> When you, especially when you've been backed up, you're just like, oh my God. There's just like this feeling of like, oh my gosh, I can do anything. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it's <awesome. even. laughs> um, okay. Sitting and movement, the last step to having 
solid digestion, really coming back to the basics. As, it, as you heard me mention earlier, um, sitting down on your sits bones is, is kind of like the position that we should be in if we are trying to optimize digestion um, and not really sitting on our tails and yeah, I'm just not slouching. And I'm over here like trying to correct my posture too. I know, I'm like currently. <laughs> um, it's little little cues that you get, bringing awareness to it. It's not going to be perfect 24-7. Like you're not a robot, you're not a machine. Um, but like, that's why I have a standing desk because I, I don't want to have a chair that encourages more of that. And, um, I know that's also not the case for everyone. Um, and so I think one of the things that people can start doing, if you're work in the work workforce, um, setting timers and, and starting slowly with that too, if you're not moving at all, like just start off with one timer you know, just to kind of get into the habit of moving throughout the day, taking a lap around the office and then coming back and seeing how that feels. Um, good break for your brain too, I'm assuming. Um, but I think the sedentary lifestyles, I remember listening to this a few years back and it was like, is, is literally the equivalent to smoking like a pack of cigarettes a day. Yeah, like they say like sitting is the new smoking. Yeah, new smoking, yep, exactly. Uh and it doesn't mean you can't sit. And so like, I know there are people out there and I'm one of these people, uh, in the past, I was like, shoot, well now I can't sit. So like, anytime I sit now, I'm going to feel anxious because I can't, I can't relax. And like, that's not it either. It's just like getting into like, again, curiosity of like, how often am I sitting versus, um, not and if you have like a lazy Sunday you find that you're sitting more than usual like no shame around that it's just getting into like how often am I sitting and how does my body feel in these moments um so many companies now too will fund more ergonomic friendly um workspaces so get interested in if that is a benefit at your company, if you do have a desk job, like, will they give you a, a ball, to, like a ball chair to sit on instead? Will they give you a standing desk? Because that's how you'll be most productive. I mean, unfortunately, that's like the goal is how can I make my employer feel the best? And if that's one way, maybe that's something you can request. So if you feel like things aren't doable for you, kind of see like if there is a way. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And um, getting curious about why there's such a huge desire to, if it's, if it's becoming like an, an extreme situation, like I just really don't want to get up and I can't get up. Like I, I physically feel like I can't move. I just don't have the energy to getting curious about that. Um, what's going on with your adrenal glands? What's going on with your thyroid? Um, and, and getting support there. And, um, yeah, I think the whole movement piece, I feel like we could probably say that for a whole other episode because yeah. there's so much that I want to speak to when it comes to movement and give you guys plenty of resources to go with that too. So to recap, the five steps towards better digestion are getting into a true parasympathetic state, being aware of the food that you're taking in, your digestive fire, your sleep and morning routine, and how often you're sitting and moving. And that is that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I 
I hope that was helpful, you guys. Um, if you resonated with the parasympathetic state in low tone dorsal and high tone dorsal vagal, and you found yourself kind of getting on the edge of your seat about that, turning up the volume, um, that is everything and more that we'll be covering at the retreat this summer. If you haven't heard about the Nourished Woman Retreat, it is a week long in Tulum, Mexico, and um, myself and other women will be at this beautiful space. I'll link the, the sales page in the show notes because you guys, if you haven't looked at the video yet of the space, it is beautiful. It's gorgeous. And we have so many carefully curated activities planned for you all for your nervous system. <laughs> just to regulate your nervous system a little bit more and also join in community. I think this is something over the past two years that a lot of us haven't really had an abundance of and nothing better, nothing sounds better than a week in paradise with sisters, women who are on a similar path and really joining um, together and creating magic. So I will link that in the show notes. And as always, um, shoot us any messages if you guys have any and we'll see you in the next episode yay I was I wanted to say one thing on the retreat I think of it as like a kickoff to um, a place that you can always go back to if you once you get back into your daily life of safety so you can go back to how you felt during the retreat and it can ripple and not just in that week, but it can ripple the um, effects into your life for years. Um, yes. So, yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much, Gabby. Until next time, guys. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. If the episode resonated with you, feel free to share it with a friend and give the podcast a five-star review and rating as this allows us to grow and continue having incredible guests on the show. Thank you so much for your support. Until next time.